Welcome to episode eight of the Pub Democracy podcast, a conversation on life and politics where we seek to return thoughtfulness, truth, and depth into our political discourse over a good beverage. I am your host, Brian Burkoff, a pastor in Holland, Michigan, who's running for U.S. Congress in Michigan's second district. I had a chance to sit down with my friend, the noted author and speaker, John Pavlovitz, earlier this week. We had a conversation on the intersection of faith and politics. John and I both share a bit of our journeys as well as our hopes for this important upcoming election. I think we're there. Welcome, friends. Uh, We are experimenting here, streaming our conversation to Facebook. Uh, Welcome any viewers. Uh, Brian Burkoff here with John Pavlovitz. Hey, and I I see uh, that we are on my page as well, Brian. So it looks like technically so far so good. John, it's great to see you. It's been a little while. Uh, You doing all right? You know, I'm hanging in there just like the rest of the nation and the world. So we're we're doing what we can here. And uh, yeah, so far so good. How about yourself? It's been a, a pretty uh, eventful year for you as well, outside of everything that's going on. Yeah, it's uh, it's a busy time for all of us, a stressful election season for every American. And if you're actually on the ballot, it just ups the ante even more. Uh, but it's been uh, been really exciting as well to meet so many good people and to try to bring some change uh, here in our corner of the world in West Michigan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit of more of your story. We've been talking here and there, uh, but the, as I had said to you earlier, the stories you must have and the uh, the insights that you're getting. So I'm really uh, I'm looking forward to catching up tonight. Yeah, that well, likewise. And uh, folks are just tuning in. I'm sure still just finding their way into the page. Yeah. Uh, we're so glad you're able to be with us tonight. This is a conversation uh, between two friends. Uh, who both happen to be authors, pastors, and connected politically somewhat. So we'll talk about this crazy election season. How do we make sense of it? And how does our faith play into our political values? And so I am here uh, with John Pavlovitz. John is a writer, pastor, and activist from Wake Forest, North Carolina. In the past four plus years, his blog, Stuff That Needs to Be Said, has reached a diverse worldwide audience of uh, millions of readers, is not overstating it, which is pretty awesome. John is a 20-year veteran in the trenches of local church ministry, in, uh, and he's committed to equality, diversity, and justice, both inside and outside of faith communities, which is so critical and so needed. And John is an author. In 2017, released his first book, A Bigger Table, also wrote another book called Hope and Other Superpowers, and his latest book, Stuff That Needs to Be Said, is out now. So, John, uh, it's a delight to be with you. Uh, thanks for taking some time tonight. Uh, gosh, it's my pleasure, my friend. And yes, for my readers who may not know um, who is on the other end of this conversation, um, Brian Berghoff is a pastor. He's a father to four. He's a loving husband. He's a leader in the community. He's an advocate for those in need. 
uh, Brian's passion for justice, his compassion for the well-being of his neighbors, and his ability to inspire through word and action are what set him apart as a candidate for Congress. Uh, Brian lives in Holland, Michigan, and he's running in Michigan's second congressional district, which if you don't know is the heart of Betsy DeVos country, and he's challenging a five-term Republican incumbent, and so he, more than all of these things are as, as including all these things. He's someone I consider uh, a friend and someone I respect dearly. And Brian, it's just so good to have you here to talk about the, the stuff that matters to us. Hey, it's great to be with you, John. And uh, yeah, welcome to all our viewers, whether you're yeah. tuning in on John's Facebook page or on my uh, Brian Burkoff for Congress page. Uh, delight to have you with us. We are sort of framing this as a an end of quarter fundraiser for my campaign. So I want to give a shout out, a thank you at the outset to some of our sponsors for tonight's event. Uh, we've got a few bronze level sponsors at the $100 level, Shane Ramsdell, Jeff Meyer, and Leanne Blake. Thank you each. Thanks to Greg Cook, a sponsor at the $250 silver level. And thanks to our gold level sponsor, Allison Malafront. And folks, if you uh, chip in to my campaign at the $100 level or higher tonight, we'll give you a, a shout out and a thanks while we're on the air yet here. Uh, if you'd like to donate, uh, you can go to brianburkoff.com and chip in there and just, you know, when you run for office, you find out in a hurry when you're not taking that, that lobbyist money, that corporate PAC money, you really rely on grassroots donations from regular, uh, regular voters, regular folks. And I know we've got a number of folks who've already chipped in $5, $25, whatever amount toward this event. So thanks to each of you as well. Yeah, and, I, and I'll just mention to to those of you who are coming here through my Facebook page, you know, we talk about this all the time, uh, what a difficult and laborious pro prospect it is to enter into a political race. And, and we also talk so much about the, the, the causes that we're passionate about supporting people who are on the front lines of this. So yeah, I, I would so appreciate it if you could uh, support Brian today. Awesome. Well, we're wondering, friends, uh, what questions do you have for John and I? As we said at the outset, both of us uh, are pastors, both of us are published authors, and we're both engaged politically. And so we'd love to hear from you uh, questions that you might have. And uh, maybe at the outset, John, I'll just throw this out there, um, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your own spiritual and political journey. And, uh, you know, did you grow up in a more conservative or progressive environment and, and share how your journey has evolved and how those things relate to each other, both in terms of faith and politics. Sure. Yeah. If, if some of you who've read the blogs or the books, you, I, I grew up in Syracuse, New York, and I grew up in a fairly traditional Italian Roman Catholic family. So I like to say I was raised on gluten and guilt. And for me, you know, God was a central part of my life. Um, always a strong presence and always a God who was extremely powerful and, uh, and but knew me intimately and loved me completely. And as I grew up, I kind of drifted in college from that faith of my, of my childhood, but I always had that strong sense of the presence of God and of, of moral decisions and what it meant to be a person who was uh, following a God of love. And uh, so I drifted for a little bit and I was what I would call a hopeful agnostic. 
and then began kind of, uh, I was volunteering for a, a local church, a small Methodist community outside of Philadelphia. And it really woke me up to what community could be and what it meant to sort of be in a place where people were living out the things that mattered to them together, working out the tensions and just fell in love with this small community, ended up serving there part-time and then got offered a full-time position. And I left my, my career as an art director and jumped into full-time ministry. And that was probably 20, almost 25 years ago. Ever since then, it's been the story of trying to figure out how to best do what I do, how to be a person of faith and morality and conscience, and how to engage the world. And um, right now, at this place in time in the history of America, that's really messy stuff. And so I do that now, especially in a virtual capacity. Um, but the, the political and the spiritual, they have always been closely aligned, and because we'll, we'll talk about that. For you, I'm sure that has been your experience, that these are, these are the same things. They are just, those are labels that we put on them, but everything is, is spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, sometimes folks get nervous about talking about uh, faith and politics in the same context. And I understand that, right? And there is a, you know, certainly a freedom of religion and a separation of church and state that's foundational to our nation. Right. But as human beings, we derive our values uh, often from our faith traditions, uh, those of us who are people of faith, and certainly there are other sources for moral grounding as well. But it's not uh, unrealistic to imagine that our faith values, our spiritual lives, uh, bring values into play that play out in the public square, which is where politics happens. It's how we figure out how do we be neighbors together? How do we be citizens in a wider community locally, at the state level, and nationally? So they are deeply intersected. And like you, uh, John, I grew up in a um, in a faith home, a loving home. We went to church uh, every week, usually twice on Sunday. And for my part, uh, you know, I was it was a conservative faith environment and our faith was always tied with, with voting a certain way. And that was with the Republican party. And so almost by default, uh, you know, I was a Republican early on in my life. And in that context, I was taught values like honesty, integrity, decency, kindness, humility, care for neighbor. And those are values that I still hold very dear and that ground my life to this very day. In fact, some of the driving factors on why I'm running for office. And I think you'd agree it's becoming increasingly hard to see those values in our political discourse and in our current political leadership. And that's one of the reasons I felt compelled to run for office. Absolutely. And, and I think for me, it was even in my journey as it sort of meandered and I didn't know how to identify what religious group or what tradition or what denomination or what local church I felt like I was at home in, I knew that compassion was supposed to be the driver of someone who yeah. kind of aspired to the life of Jesus. And so for me, that was always the place I've tried to land to be a person who allows more people to be seen and heard and understood and to know the stories of people. So that's why I do the work that I do. I know that's why you do what you do is to be meet people in their stories and try to figure out how to make this life a little easier for all of us because it's it's a difficult journey at times. 
It is. And wondering, John, if there was a moment for you when you politically felt like, if I am going to be this person who follows the model of Jesus, that's invitational, that's welcoming, that's inclusive, that's justice-seeking, where you felt that aligns me more clearly with one political party with the other. That aligns me more with the Democratic Party than the Republican Party. Was there something that triggered that that you remember? I think, you know, for me, I, I was independent, registered independent, still am for, you know, since I was 18 years old. And I never really felt initially that I resonated with one party or the other. In fact, it really wasn't on my radar. I just grew up uh, realizing that there was this background story that I inherited. And I can remember actually being in a, a, a pastor in a church and at a, at a staff meeting in this mega church in Charlotte and there was sort of this prayer happening and people were talking and they were giving prayer requests and before that the prayer began someone made a joke and said something about well of course I'm a Christian I I wouldn't be Democrat and I can remember that just sounded so odd to me and so I began to think about well what is how does my faith get expressed politically? And I never really, uh, right now, I'm known as a very opinionated writer and speaker on issues of politics, but I, I remind people that prior to 2016, to that presidential race, I never wrote about politics, never mentioned a politician or a party by name. It was only as I saw the campaign develop and I, I realized that I needed to speak explicitly into issues of diversity and equality and protecting the least of these, because that has been the heart of my faith tradition. And I, I just thought that I saw the Democratic Party embracing love of the least in their policy uh, far more than I saw this campaign developing that I think was run on cruelty. And those are the two places, it's the compassion or the cruelty. And so I'm still, um, for me, not um, a politically aligned person, I'm more of a humanity aligned person. And right now that's where my politics land. Love it. And I think that's a beautiful framing, uh, John. And I think a lot of people appreciate that, that honesty and that, that willingness to, to say, I'm not going to be aligned with a particular party. I'm going to align with values and I'm going to align with where my faith leads me. And as a person of faith who seeks to follow Jesus, that means being where people are hurting and trying to bring healing and hope and welcome. And I think that's a fantastic place to be. Uh, of course, for me running for office, uh, you know, in our two party system, it's pretty hard to win as an independent and not be a part of that system. And, and for me, uh, certainly along my journey, there was a point where I just realized that the sort of marriage between faith and the Republican Party wasn't working for me anymore. And I gradually began to see myself aligning more with the Democratic Party. And so that today it makes sense for me to run as a Democrat, but if you saw my early life, you would have assumed if I ever ran for office, it was as a Republican. Uh, I was a part of the college Republicans at the University of Michigan. I helped get out the vote for George H.W. Bush, for Bob Dole back in the day. Uh, but you know, I think for me, it was 9-11 um, in the Iraq war that began to really give me pause about uh, this connection with uh, my faith to one party, this desire for for violence as the, you know, the the solution to the problems that we were facing. I felt a lot of tension there, and now, of course, both parties were kind of jumping on board the yeah. the train at that point. So certainly that is true. But I felt it was especially strong in the Republican Party and among the Republicans I knew that we needed to, you know, somebody needed to pay. 
with violence and pay with death for what had happened to us. And as someone who seeks to follow the Prince of Peace, mm. that just felt kind of messy and, and yucky. And that just began a process for me of really, you know, wrestling through the things that had tethered my faith to a party and untethering them and then re reformulating some of my basic spiritual values and then seeing where they fell when it came to politics. Yeah, and I think that's been the story for both of us that we, you get to a point where you realize I'm not, I'm bound to something greater. I participate in a party at a particular place in time and that those parties evolve and change. And so, right, 25 years ago, we may have been in a different place, but at this place in time, this is where we've landed. But the allegiance again is really to something that's much more, um, much larger and the inherent humanity of people. I think that's the place we try to, we try to sit. Yeah. And so from your view, why do folks that you've come across, and, and I think this has been true historically, tend to more quickly assume Christians are Republicans than anything else? Where is that connection? Where have you seen that connection um, historically? For me, one of the, the revelatory moments was moving from the Northeast to the Southeast and, be, and becoming a pastor here and really realizing how ingrained generational faith and politics is you really inherit a, a party you inherit a denomination and, and and if you and many times you stay there and i think the the right the religious right has been very vocal about what they believe they've been unafraid to really claim faith in the public square and i think progressive Christians and moderate Christians maybe have been reticent to do that, to say, but there is an alternative faith story here. Uh, I think that's what for me has hindered uh, uh, the, either the democratic or liberal or progressive uh, faith mindset, because it's almost as if people like myself relinquish the faith conversation to conservatives. And I just think now it's a great time to say, actually, I'm I'm really proud of my tradition and I'm proud of, you know, that story and it, that story is valid. And I think a lot of people are saying, that's me. I may not even align with this particular church, but I resonate with these values. And that's, I think, what you see rising up in our country right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's right. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things here uh, where I'm running for Congress uh, in West Michigan, it is a fairly um, strong religious community. Uh, a lot of Christian publishing happens in the Grand Rapids uh, area. We have some fairly major seminaries uh, here locally, and there's been a long association with one party politically under that faith rubric. Uh, and so, you know, when I declared my campaign and people realized, oh, Here's a pastor running for Congress, but wait, he's running as a Democrat. How does that work? And it's been really fun to, to help people expand their notion of what a person of faith might look like in the political realm and not to assume that that means one party, that there are Christians uh, across this country who are proud Democrats, of course, and people of all faith traditions or no faith tradition that right. belong to both parties, right? No party owns a monopoly on faith or non-faith but it's good to punch through that sort of assumed view that people have and really make them think, oh, well, why do I identify with this party? This guy's a, a pastor and he's running for office as a Democrat. Maybe that's going to make me, you know, 
think twice about what he's standing for and running on and maybe where I land. And I think, yeah, that's a beautiful, I've written about something I call the humane middle, which I believe that they're a group of people together. And if we take away some of our allegiance or alignment with labels, uh, we begin to realize there are so many commonalities and if we could embrace those things. And so I think there is this really beautiful, strange congregation of people, if we use a religious term, but there are people who are not of faith and people of every faith background and life stage and orientation. And they just say, we want to work out life together. And then that's what we're doing here. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, all right, we're in the midst of an election year. It's stressful for everybody. And, and you noted you didn't really you weren't that engaged on politics, weren't even speaking out politically prior to the 2016 campaign. How have you seen the Republican Party shift under Donald Trump? And what is it about Donald Trump that made you say, I cannot out of good conscience remain quiet any longer? I, th I think fundamentally it's an appeal to the fear that people have. I think what Trump has done is leverage our phobias and prejudices and fears. And for many people who were raised with a really um, a fear-based religion that rang a lot of familiar bells with them. And I began to feel like there was sort of a manipulation that there was this energy based on anger and exclusion and um, removing things from other people and removing rights and removing opportunities. And for me, the gospel was, is this uh, expansive, ho hospitable, generous thing. And um, I think what I've seen under Trump is just an, a slowly lowering level of what people will accept um, to whether it's hold power or, or retain community because that's a lot of the story here I talk to a lot of people and it isn't as as if they've embraced this particular politician it's that their lives are intertwined so to kind of deviate as we've said they may have to they may lose family members they may estrange themselves from their local church and so I think that fear has just settled in and for me, it's realizing there is an alternative and helping people see there's an alternative. You can have a faith that's built on abundance. You can have a politics that's based on everyone. There's enough for everyone if we are creative enough and work hard enough. And we don't always have to lose if someone else gains. And I mm. think that's what Trump appeals to, the other side of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And I think... You know, one of the interesting things I see around here are some yard signs that say faith over fear. Mm. And ironically, those signs are often in the same yard with a Donald Trump sign. Yeah. That's and so what they're in that context, what they're saying, they're responding, I think, to this pandemic and saying, oh, we don't need to wear masks. We don't need to social distance. That's just right. fear based. But we have faith that God will protect us or that this pandemic isn't that much of a thing to worry about. But the irony is, right, that Donald Trump won on a fear-based message. So I want people to have faith over fear when it comes to neighbors who look different than them, when it comes to immigrants and welcoming, welcoming them into our community, when it comes to realizing we need to provide health care for every person. You know, that's the time to be expansive, to have faith, uh, and not be driven by fear. And, and yet when there's a very real medical 
public health crisis, yeah. a moderate amount of fear is understandable. I mean, so talk about how you hear that when people talk about faith over fear, but it feels like they're getting they're getting it still backwards. Well, exactly. And I think the, the, the irony is that people will say, well, I, I trust God, so I'm not going to wear a mask. But those are usually the same people who really want a, to have a weapon at their disposal. And so do they trust God in the same way? So you, you see that inconsistency and it's easy to see from the outside. But what is happening on the inside of that person is they, they've kind of lost sight. They know that they are afraid. They just don't know what they're supposed to be afraid of. And I think what Trump has done is he's just kind of pushed every button. And when you're in that state of urgency and then you have partisan media feeding that, I, I think I, in a part of me feels, um, I feel bad for people who are in a place of perpetual fear that, that do look at their neighbors with, um, disrespect or look at them as they're a threat. Uh, you know, for me, the way of Jesus has been actually diversity makes us better. The more people that are fed, that's better. Uh, the more, the more people have medical care, that's always going to be better. And the idea that fewer and fewer people should represent America, that just doesn't seem in keeping with the, with my faith story. Yeah, and one of the things around that fear-based messaging that seems most concerning to me is the fear that we're people are being told to have of the other political party, that Democrats are people to be afraid of, that there's this thing that's going to take over our country and turn America into something else. So you need to be afraid of your neighbor if they don't vote like you do. And I think that's been a very harmful and divisive approach by this president where he seems to want to be president only over the part of the country that voted for him and not over every American. And that's frankly one of the things that uh, motivated me to run uh, because I, like you, have engaged people across religious and political difference for a long time. Uh, in fact, wrote a book about that experience, Pub Theology. And in that setting, we bring together people who are Christian, who are Buddhist, who are uh, Jewish, atheist, Muslim, you name it. And of course, across the political spectrum, and we sit down together so that we can learn, so that we can hear each other's story, so that we can remember that before we're any of those labels that we use to identify ourselves, we're fellow human beings, we're fellow Americans, we're fellow people who want good things to happen in our world. And so I think we really need a, a de-escalation of the partisan tension and leaders who can bring us together. And, and that's been even to look, I, I always ask people if they're on Twitter, for example, to compare both presidential candidates' Twitter feeds and even look for the word to go to Donald Trump's Twitter feed and search Democrats and see what he says, and then search Joe Biden's and search Republicans. And what you will see, because I've done it every day for the past few, you know, year or so, is you'll see one side saying, hey, we're Americans together. This is, we're gonna get through this. Um, our diversity makes us better. We, we all depend on one another. And then you'll see another side that says, you over there who don't support me, you're enemy of the people. And that's what I would grieve about four more years of this. I would grieve the, the, the battle lines because I think you and I both agree that we're not people who build our lives on war rhetoric. We build our lives on invitation. And that's, that's what I hope 
America kind of embraces again, the idea of invitation, which is, you know, what we were really built on and at our best, right? We know that we weren't always at our best, but that's what we've aspired to. Absolutely. And, you know, we've, you know, worried even about the safety of our family running publicly as a Democrat in a conservative area wow. and knowing that there is hostility that these unwarranted fears have been stoked by this president. You know, we've had, you know, Joe Biden and my yard sign stolen from our front yard. We've had beer cans thrown in our yard with trucks driving by swearing at my wife and daughter because we have a Joe Biden sign. Oh, and you just want to take a breath and say, hey, look, man, we're, we're neighbors, <laughs> you know, like, let's sit yeah. down and have that beer together instead of throwing it at each other. And I think better things will result. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, perfect, because you're, you're there in West Michigan, and I'm here in, you know, in the southeast, but tell me kind of what you've seen as you've been on this journey, how have things changed? It's a historically conservative area, right? So what's the story that you've been seeing play out over the past few months? Yeah, so it has been a long time since this district has had a Democrat represented in Congress before either you or I were alive, John. So, you know, we're certainly uh, have a challenge on our hands to flip this seat blue. But I was encouraged, you know, to, to see in 2018 in the midterm elections, this race was the closest it had been in 30 years. And that I think is signifying a shift that is happening among how people align politically and an increasing diverse electorate here in West Michigan. And part of that shift is, you know, new people moving in and all of that. But part of the shift is also, there are a lot of people on a journey spiritually, and that journey also has them rethinking their political commitments. And honestly, I think this president has accelerated that journey for a lot of people who were already starting to feel uncomfortable with the alliance between their faith and the Republican Party. Donald Trump has sped that up for a lot of people who maybe now are saying, I'm sort of adrift politically. I don't align with either party, but in good conscience, I cannot vote for Donald Trump, nor can I vote for members of Congress like my opponent who are enablers of this president. And so I'm really heartened that I have people who have never voted Democrat in their life and they're gonna vote for me and they're gonna vote for Joe Biden uh, in this election. And that's very encouraging. And frankly, I can't win without their help also, but I think it's healthy because people are ready to identify publicly as Democrats in West Michigan in increasing numbers. And that's exciting. That's fantastic news. That's and I've visited uh, your area a few times on on kind of tour stops and have seen that energy and the, the diversity of people coming together to say, yeah, let, we're gonna we're gonna do something beautiful together, and our story is gonna be about uh, that positive energy as opposed to something that is is negative. So it's that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's it's encouraging for sure. So if you were to talk about. Uh, two or three issues that are really on your mind with this election, all right? So we know Trump won in 2016. We've had almost four years of him in office. What really is motivating your vote? What issues as you head to the polls this year? They all come back to the issue of compassion for me. But so something like healthcare is such a huge for me, my story, you know, Jesus was a healer and, and he took care of people. And we have the story of the Good Samaritan and the binding up of a wounded person. And I think for me, Joe Biden represents this, this empathy 
uh, this tremendous heart for people. And so issues of healthcare and issues of education and removing um, the disparities for people of color and helping mar vulnerable and marginalized communities. You know, we've seen all what's been happening on the news with the virus that has disproportionately affected people of color. And then we've seen the brutality protests. And, and I, for me, those issues of protecting the least are what motivate me. Uh, I, I said last week, I'm a single issue, issue voter and my issue is compassion. My question is, do you care about other people? And I look at Joe Biden and I look at people like yourself and I can see the fruit of that life. And that's where my vote goes. Awesome. I loved that uh, article you wrote, uh, that I'm a one issue voter. It's compassion. And how do you treat other people? How do you care about other people? And I think that's such a beautiful way of framing so many issues, whether it's uh, healthcare, dealing with this pandemic, investing in our public schools, making sure people have jobs that pay a living wage, making sure kids can afford to go to college, making sure we're addressing climate change, right? All those are about loving our neighbor and really can be distilled under that. And when instead we, we hear push for politics of, of, of exclusion, of separation, of division, of enabling some to be very successful, but making it hard for others even to get a foot in the door, it's really hard for me to square those policies or those politicians with the Christian faith. That's it. And, and for me, you know, we, we've talked before and our time is being together and our families being together and that this idea of the bigger table and one of the kind of ways we are introduced to one another is this, this idea of the bigger table. And for me, that's the story here. The story is, you know, less people and less diversity, less opportunity is not healthy and it's not why we're here. And the more things expand, the, the better America is. And there's kind of a common myth that progressives and liberals or Democrats that we don't love America. And we actually do. We love the people who live in America. And I think that's the difference. It's not this nebulous thing. It's not just a symbol. It's actually human beings. And so I love the people who reside in America. And I love the people who want to live in America and the struggle to get here. And so that's, that's, where, that's where we are, I think. Yeah, and, and a love for our democracy, which I would say is one of the things that I really worry about with this president uh, and with this election, because we've seen that he has no qualms about making people doubt the outcome. He makes people wonder, is it okay to vote by mail or is there going to be, you know, uh, people misusing vote by mail, even though there's really no evidence of that happening at any real level whatsoever. And him also saying he will not agree to a peaceful transfer of power regardless of the result of the election. That feels unprecedented to me and it erodes the foundations of our democracy. And because again, we, we love America, we love our neighbor, we cannot be in favor of that. And that's, and that's where I think, you know, you asked earlier about how I see the Republican party changing. What, what those things, uh, a sitting president attacking the electoral process or being exposed as to be fraudulent on tax returns and things like that, those would be unacceptable in any other party at any other time. So Republican and Democratic administrations before us. And that's the other part of this story is it's not 
you know, I, I try to tell my, my kids as we talk about these things, growing up, Republicans and Democrats, they differed fundamentally, but there was an idea or a sense that people were still trying to work it out and figure out a compromise that was equitable and that honored the, the opinions of everyone else. And I think that's what the Republican Party right now has lost. It's lost the collaborative spirit. And I think we need to bring that back. Yeah, loss of collaborative spirit, loss of bipartisanship, and loss of basic respect for the offices and institutions uh, of this country. So I agree. All right, so we're 35 days away from the election today. That I know. <laughs> A little scary. Uh, how are you feeling? Nauseous. Um, I think, you know, it, it, it depends on the hour. I'm sure that's the same for you, Ryan. It's I the information comes so quickly now and the news cycle is always changing and the information you're getting is always going to make you rise and fall uh for me right now i'm feeling uh what would i say you know optimistically pessimistic uh, i think there there are moments where i feel like there are so many good people in this country and so much good that is happening and we really have made wonderful progress and then i see this kind of current of venom and hatred and it's it's kind of a toss-up you know you see the the polls changing and you see the demographics of this country changing and so i think i'm hopeful ultimately because there is no other option i think you and i are here and people who are watching this who are of like heart we don't have an option to opt out of humanity or the process. And so we show up and regardless of what happens in November, we're gonna get up and do the same thing on November 4th. Uh, we are gonna participate in humanity. And so for that, I, I'm i gonna stay hopeful. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. You know, there's a lot of reasons for hope. You know, I'm a believer uh, along with Martin Luther King Jr. that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it does bend toward justice. I know you've talked about being arc benders and helping that process along. And I think that's what active participation in our political system and our political process by voting, by speaking out, all that's a part of that. And I believe the goodness of humanity is uh, finding expression more and more. And that's rooted in all the things we've talked about, compassion, welcome, hospitality, love, and justice. And I think we're moving in that direction more and more. But I understand that that increasing diversity or things looking a little different is threatening to some folks. And so th there's a resistance. And I think that's what we're feeling in this presidency. Uh, that's what we're feeling in this political tension. But I believe that the good will win out. Amen to that. And I think it's the growing pains of uh, democracy. And I think we're seeing that now. And yeah. people who have come before us, you know, people have lived through really difficult times. And for me, you know, I read the diary of Anne Frank once in a while, again and again, I remind myself that there have always been these forces that tried to drive out good people and try to squash diversity. And then there was always this defiant, joyful spirit that said, no, this is the better path, that kindness is the better way. And that's that's what we lean into in the next 35 days, but in day 36, right? And after that. Yeah, so you said a moment ago, you know, regardless of who wins, you know, we know our job is to continue to, you know, love our neighbor and 
go to work on the issues we care about every day in our local communities and more broadly. But be honest with me, uh, after November 3, if Joe Biden wins, what are you doing? What's your plan? And same I'm, with the opposite. I'm going to Disney World. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, I'm going to sleep for a while. The story here is that we know systemic injustices are going to still be in place, right? And all these, That's right. these fractures that we are aware of, Trump hasn't created them. He's just revealed them and they're going to still yeah. exist. I think the difference will be waking up and not fearing that the people in the highest levels of our government aren't out to create emergency and out and out, out to harm half of our country. That will be a nice change. And that will allow people like myself to probably take a pause and breathe a little bit. And that's where a lot more hope will come to when we wake up in that reality, because people here in this country have been under the duress of that emergency on both sides, right? If you, if you support this president, you are still engulfed in the emergency that he creates that unhealthy chaos i think people are republican democrat independent we would all wake up and realize wow it feels different right now we can actually engage one another differently so that's what i'll be doing sleeping and then getting up and getting to work there you go there you go and uh if if trump wins you know describe to me the emotions you anticipate and do you have your passport ready is there somewhere is there somewhere in canada you have picked out yeah i actually did a uh, a podcast with some priests episcopal priests in in canada and i said you know keep an eye out on the houses in your area and for me you know the, uh, I will cross that bridge kind of emotionally and practically as it comes for me it will just the grief of it will be far greater than in 2016 the grief will be people voted for him in 2016, not knowing what he might do and hopeful that he would do something different or change the system. Right. I will grieve the fact that they have seen all this malice and all this criminality and all this cruelty and they will have embraced it a second time. So that will be the story for me. Not only will, will he have four more years to do this, but that will mean a lot of people embraced it who I really hoped would not. So that's where my hope is in humanity saying, we're not going to allow this. We've seen too much. It says that I'm the host now, which means I may have lost Brian. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to thank you, friends uh, who have watched this tonight. Brian is back, I think. Brian, are you with us? I am back. I am back. Thanks for hanging out without me. Thanks for <laughs> hanging in. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, you know, why, why don't you um, get, give the last word tonight on, on our time together? Why don't you share what's on your heart and what um, your hopes are for the next uh, 35 days? Yeah, well, you know, we're, we're just working hard every day to, to highlight the values that we've talked about. You know, one of the things that you know, feels super important to me in the role of representative is you really are sort of that link locally to our our government federally in Washington. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that role of a representative, I believe you need to be present and you need to be listening to your constituents so that you can represent them. And the truth is my opponent has not done an in-person town hall, public town hall here in his district in over three years, which is a term and a half of Congress. And to me, that feels unacceptable. And, you know, I'm ready to 
to be present, to listen, to hear what's going on here locally so that I can be the best representative I can be uh, in DC for Michigan's second district. Um, so it's a real privilege to do this. And what's been a real joy, John, is getting to know people all across West Michigan involved in all kinds of different things in their communities, working hard every day to make a difference and then to come together and say, hey, how can we make our voices heard at an even broader level? How can we make even more good things happen here in West Michigan? It's been a huge privilege to, to be a part of that. Fantastic. I'm gonna I'm gonna thank those of you who've come here who maybe knew me and didn't know Brian. And just to let you know that um, you know, this is this guy is the real deal. And you, you know, you see people, whether you're a person of faith or not, whether you're a public and democrat independent, you know, you see people running for office and you get a snapshot of who they are and you don't know if that's accurate or not. And I just I will encourage you that if you're in West Michigan, uh, you can't have a better person representing you and than Brian. And I'm looking forward to Brian. I'm hoping you're gonna have a a celebratory party and I will gladly be there uh, with a mask on if I need to, if that's the, still the reality we're in. Um, but I also wanted to say, you know, friends tonight, you know, part of, of our efforts tonight is to help Brian's campaign finish a really strong fundraising quarter and that ends tomorrow. And so if you've enjoyed our time and you're encouraged by Brian and his family's uh, courage and passion, if you would be willing to chip in 10, 25 bucks a uh, dollar, whatever you can do and do it at brianbergoff.com. And um, yeah, so I'm just grateful for uh, those of you who are new to me and just uh, spent some time with me and uh, listening to my story. Awesome. Well, thank you, John. Really appreciate that. And again, thanks to all uh, of you who are tuning in and for people coming at this from my page uh, who are following my campaign. If you uh, don't know John or are not following him on social media or you don't have his books, please uh, pick them up at, uh, at your local bookstore. Follow John on, on Twitter and on Facebook and certainly subscribe to his blog because he is speaking truth uh, and love and compassion into this present moment. And it's really needed. So I am grateful for you, John. Thanks for taking some time with us tonight. Thank you, my friend. And I'll just one last word. If you're watching this and you're still wondering if you should get involved, get involved and let your voice be heard and vote because this is what it's all about, participating in the life of this country and one another. So uh, let's get out there. Get out and vote. Good last word. Thanks, John. We'll catch up with you down the road. All right. Peace, my friend. Thank you all. all. Right. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to the Pub Democracy podcast. You can follow me at Pub Theologian on Twitter and like my campaign page on Facebook at Brian Burkoff for Congress. And you can find me hanging out on Instagram as well. Listen to Pub Democracy anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Music for today's episode by Lee Rosevere. Until next time, friends, keep using your voice, your heart, your hands, and your feet to be the change you want to see. Thank you.